Why? Because we serve a God of the impossible, because he'll take the impossible and make it possible every single time. We are so thankful you guys are in with us on this beautiful May the 19th, 2023. We are excited for all that God has done, is doing, and is about to do. And I'm telling you what, God is on the move and doing tremendous things. And I, for one, am just hanging on and buckling in and excited for God's goodness, God's grace, and God's mercy that's manifesting in the earth in so many different ways. Well, this morning we have, on Fridays as always, Mr. Bjork. And Mr. Bjork's actually in live on the, in the studio, and he is here for graduation and so he's he's here live with us. And uh, Mr. Bjork, how are you doing? Excellent. So good to be here. It's good to have you, sir. And I'm excited to have you in in person. And uh, graduation tonight, big night for these yes. kiddos. And so a lot of these kids, you've been around for a long time. And so it's always a joy to see them um, and their accomplishments and their success and what they're going to do in their life right. by the grace of God. The so, beginning. It's just the beginning for them. That's right. <laughs> And so very excited for them, and um, it's going to be a great evening. Don't forget a couple of announcements before we get into the science department and mm-hmm. rocket into space. Is uh, this Saturday, Coffee with Jesus, 4 o'clock p.m. here. Um, it's at the church behind Taco Bell. <laughs> that's how we know it. That's that's We always crack up about, um, we always say, you know, identify churches by what restaurant they're by. And so... Uh, they it is this Saturday though. Uh, Miss Kay Cottrell is going to be giving the word this Saturday, four o'clock p.m. and that's going to be on the Alabaster Box again at Free Liberty Church in Litchfield, Kentucky. Um, and then Crosspoint will host Man Up next Thursday evening, six thirty p.m. And then um, Memorial Day is just right around the corner. And so, uh, what is it? A week and a half now, just about. And that not this next Monday, but the next Monday and. On Memorial Day, we will not be in studio. We take that morning off as well as most people do all of their jobs. So um, just I'm, I'm ready to get into Mr. Bjork's science department here. So, Mr. Bjork, are you ready to go? Yes, indeed. All right. Well, take us into space, sir. Some exciting things happening in, on that very uh, aspect. The uh, SpaceX uh, Falcon rocket and AX2, AX2, uh, from the Axiom Corporation is launching uh, four people uh, to the International Space Station. And they're a very interesting bunch. Now, this is all private. There is no Na- NASA or other money that's being spent here. The uh, Axiom Aerospace is the company, a private company, and they have selected four people uh, to go to the International Space Station for some specific time. And uh, so uh, that launch is going to be happening <laughs> in a uh, couple of days, I believe it is, uh, the 21st. And so that's kind of exciting. Um, these are people who, some of them have had some pr- professional training in the world of astronautics, but they are not um, identifiable astro- uh, uh, astronauts. And I'll, I'll give you their names. There's quite a interesting combination of these guys Um, but they are uh, just finished the FRR the flight readiness review that where you can persuade NASA that this launch is going to be okay (laughs) it's not going to blow up the whole space uh, program Um, they have to everybody that goes into space whether they're NASA or not has to go by this uh, um, 
flight readiness review. And they, uh, you, you have to persuade the folks that you aren't going to just blow up something on the pad, but you got a real serious mission. And, of course, this is a serious mission. you got four, basically four uh, beginner astronauts, and uh, they have quite a diverse background. And uh, they have one uh, gentleman is from uh, Saudi Arabia, Ali Akarni, and the commander of the uh, is a woman, Peggy Whitson. Um, uh, the pilot is uh, John Schofner, and another Saudi astronaut, uh, Renaya Barnawi. And so those are the four folks that are going to be going up to space here shortly, all privately trained. Some of them have professional background experiences, of course. They, they have to be able to be qualified for what they're doing, but uh, they, have not, they did not go through the NASA training for any uh, reason. They're just getting a readiness review. And it's good that we have several different countries involved and uh, our allies here in this case and uh, a woman of color, and uh, all kinds of uh, first, uh, firsts for uh, the space program. So we hope that launch is going to be successful, and uh, we'll be holding our breath <laughs> for it. So that's how we're um, proceeding here in this, the beginning of this uh, space week. Yeah. Um, we have some very uh, fascinating experiences. Every time this, the James Webb telescope uh, opens its eyes, something remarkable uh, is discovered. And um, they focused this week on one of the comets in the uh, asteroid belt. Uh, the asteroid belt is a belt of um, rocks and asteroids and comets and so on that have chosen to live permanently in an orbit around the sun that puts them almost halfway between Mars and uh, uh, Jupiter. And one of these uh, is the comet 238P, Reed, R-E-A-D, uh, the guy who was uh, obviously, in, that's how they name these things. They have a code for the, the, the name, and that's a 23AP. And, uh, and then they have the person who discovered that, uh, that object or studied that object first and published on it. So... Uh, 238P Reed uh, lurks in the main asteroid belt. <clears throat> it's going to reveal a lot of interesting things about even <clears throat> how the uh, Earth received its water initially. We know that God arranged for that, but the things he goes through to do what he does is always very interesting. So um, they are uh, studying the uh, water that's coming out of this particular asteroid and uh, it's just like the water that we have here on Earth, and uh, notwithstanding the oceans full of salt and so forth, but um, uh, it's a tremendous discovery, and uh, they're uh, studying it and getting uh, information on it. One day that may have to be applied to other asteroids, which are not so friendly, and so that's uh, why we do that. that it's a scientific breakthrough for the Webb's telescope being able to do something uh, for the first time like this and finding a, a pure water vapor vaporizing from this comet. A lot of times you, when you see comets or you see they have this uh, trail that goes behind them, the coma, and 
and then the long trail and uh, tail we call them and uh, <clears throat> we've seen these uh, objects in the main belt that have all the uh, characteristics of uh, comets but only with this instrument can we get the exact spectra spectral um, uh, emission that the, that thing is uh, doing using the light of the sun and and whatever else uh, is affecting it and uh, it's definitely pure H2O coming off this comet. So it's a real a tremendous discovery. It's almost like how excited people got when they found out the moon has water underneath the soil and ice and so forth. That's uh, going to be handy. We don't have to take every drop there when we go. So that's, that's quite a great thing to happen. Um, it's, uh, the mystery is the carbon dioxide which the astronomers expected to see because every time you look at, an, uh, at one of these uh, comets, you get, you get some water emission possibly, and then you all get the CO2. This one, there's not one iota of CO2. It is pure water. And, uh, and we have probably, if you count all the little rocks, we have hundreds of thousands of objects in the, this asteroid belt. And uh, we're going to find out this morning we're not the only one with an asteroid belt. And um, so they uh, uh, are going to be coming and investigating this, uh, these asteroid belt objects now with, with another uh, uh, bit of excitement, knowing that uh, they're going to find things perhaps like uh, uh, this particular comet that has pure water and it's a lot of the evolutionists believe that the earth was formed and then all of a sudden we got bombarded by a whole bunch of comets with all this water <laughs> that's where the water came from so um uh that's uh they're they're working on that theory we, we have a biblical source for ours <clears throat> so um our water soaked world that we can call that right now because we've looked at a lot of planets elsewhere and we seem to be unique so far and um, we have life in our water and we have water that everybody can drink that doesn't isn't salty and uh, so it's an exciting thing and um, but this uh, comet uh, is going to tell us a lot about uh, probably other comets uh, in the asteroid belt and uh, the main we'll call it the main belt because <clears throat> these these um, uh, objects are always in the same exact orbit uh, around the sun and they have a lot of uh, inter you know sometimes they bump into each other and so on that there's thousands of them and and we have the planetary defense system that's worried that uh, the asteroids are will come and be very un unpleasant, but not these. These are in the main belt, and there's going to be a lot of studies now, and we got a method of doing that with the James Webb Telescope. We could focus on individuals like I did on this one, uh, 238P Reed, and uh, get lots of uh, insight in the, the composition, what they're made up of, and, and um, it's very uh, exciting to be able to do this kind of thing, and we're going to tell you about a couple more groundbreaking discoveries that we can uh, um, have the James Webb Telescope be a part of that. Um, 
We have um, uh, a very uh, interesting discovery um, that was made by an exoplanet. Uh, this object is outside of our solar system, and uh, it uh, never. It, it was. We're going to find out. There's lots of things outside of our solar system that we're going to be able to see and understand what they are. But this one's a long way away. It's 18 light years away, and so it's a giant planet. Um, uh, it has a planet that's even bigger than Jupiter in it. And the James Webb Telescope has been able to find radiation belts around this uh, planet, the, indicating that it, there is a belt like our asteroid belt. And um, it's real exciting. Uh, and the radiation belt itself is a, is a tool that we can see to we can we we know that our solar system has radiation belts around our planets like Jupiter and Saturn, um, but this uh, is a Jupiter-sized body that's outside of our uh, asteroid uh, belt and outside of our solar system. In fact, it's so far away that's 18 light years. So uh, that's a um, to be able to see this kind of detail with an instrument is just really a remarkable accomplishment. And uh, it's just, uh, it's almost every day that you, you go and see what it's doing, they have a new uh, discovery that is quite remarkable. And uh, it has, we could tell from the particle radiation particles around it that, that we can pick up the emission from that it um, has a global magnetic field like our planet has a global magnetic field, very mild, but com planets like Jupiter is not mild. And uh, these magnetic fields, um, uh, in this case, has radiation belts. And uh, Earth has radiation belts, too. You've you probably heard people talk about the Van Allen belt, which is a bunch of electrons uh, from the sun that have been captured in, in an orbit. And, uh, and they permanently arrive in this, this uh, uh, asteroid belt. And astronauts have to be aware of it because you want to spend a lot of time in it because it's, the, it's radiation that can be harmful. And so the, uh, we have our own magnetic uh, belts, and now we have discovered that this planet, which is 18 light years away, also has a radiation belt, uh, multiple belts, and uh, it's a real exciting discovery. Uh, it's the first time we found radiation belts outside of our solar system around a specific object like this. As uh, uh, astronomer Melody Kao is the one who whose team has been studying this and come up with this uh, object. It uh, has a very unpleasant name, LSRJI835 plus 3259. And it's, uh, they have their own method and codes of, of uh, keeping track of all these systems. It's a very systematic thing. And, and uh, so this planet now, is, and I don't, they haven't named it, probably have a nickname that we haven't heard yet. But uh, anyway, uh, Dr. Kao is from the University of California in Santa Cruz, and their team effectively found this belt you know, using the uh, inf information from James Webb's telescope. As it, the, the actual mass of this planet is, is amazing. It's 80 times, you know how big Jupiter is. This is 80 times larger. So 
um, they're suspecting um, that it w- could possibly become a star. We might even watch it happen. But it, it hasn't got the um, um, mass for hydrogen fusion to take place, and that's the only thing um, uh, lacking. It's a, it's, a, it's a very, you might call it a very dim star, um, because it doesn't have enough mass to actually have that fusion going on, which will turn it into a sun. And it'll, this, if this happens on this um, planet, it'll probably be a dwarf, a brown dwarf planet. Brown dwarfs are very weak, very low um, radiation content, and not, not a high-powered fusion like our sun. Our sun is constantly using fusion to generate the energy and the sunlight that we enjoy, and, uh, and it's the basis of of things when we're trying to harness fusion for energy, for example, and it's been harnessed, unfortunately, uh, by all a lot of uh, our friends and enemies uh, to form fusion bombs, and um, uh, that's that's the downside of that. But uh, we're going to have an understanding from this. Uh, um, it's got its own bizarre name, LSRJ one eighteen thirty five plus 3259 and it, we now know it has an, a, a radiation belt and it's going to researchers are going to be just studying daylights off that thing to find that uh, what's going on in that particular world and then how many such worlds there are around us it's really kind of a remarkable uh, discovery well <coughs> um, SpaceX is also instead of just the Axiom crew they are Launching a, a, tree, a trio of satellites, th- triple satellites. They uh, usually, when they go up, they they dump a bunch of Starlink uh, tra- um, satellites in orbit. But this time, they're putting uh, three uh, 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 satellites for uh, research, and um, <clears throat> they're using a, a Falcon Heavy rocket, and um, it's the sixth mission of that specific rocket. Isn't that amazing? We used to launch them. They'd put their orbits in space and then trash the whole uh, t- uh, whole spaceship. But now we get to save them and uh, uh, recycle them and clean them up and launch them again. And this one is trip six. So it's quite an interesting story. It's going to launch these, these uh, satellites in orbit and they're uh, on a spaceship that is reused. And it's a real uh, wonderful thing. That's not the only fantastic discovery that we talk about the radiation belts around a, a, foreign, a foreign object. But the, they've been studying the Milky Way. Of course, they studied it to death uh, for every astronomer that goes <laughs> to school, gets his, his fill of the, uh, of the uh, Milky Way galaxy. And our galaxy uh, was somewhat unusual because all the rest of the spiral galaxies like uh, ours uh, have uh, two lobes, two main lobes of uh, collection of stars and, and uh, so forth. Um, uh, and this particular one, uh, we, we have said, well, we're unique. We have four lobes in our galaxy. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, we weren't studying all that we could study. When they finally got some more information, 
once again, the James Webb Telescope uh, helped us get there. But uh, they've discovered that those four belts are really two belts. <laughs> it's just just slightly separated in uh, characteristics, but uh, we, it looks like we may end up being a, a belt just like all the other spiral galaxies in the universe <laughs> that we've studied so far. And uh, we're, we, had, we, have a, we have a uniqueness in that we have people here and, uh, and um, among the, uh, our star anyway, uh, multiple planets, and we have people on one of them. And, uh, of course, there's a big effort underway by both NASA and the Department of Defense, which I'm going to refer to here uh, shortly, uh, not this week, but soon, getting the right information uh, out of these guys is not, cannot, is not always easy. <laughs> so we do what we can. And, uh, but we uh, now know that our Milky Way galaxy is not too dissimilar. And there's some unfortunate things that have happened, uh, I have to say, this week. Um, I always look to our friends in Russia to find unfortunate things. But uh, Russia has arrested their hypersonic missile engineers. They're really great scientists, and they published papers in uh, foreign journals. And evidently, that's a no-no. Um, I don't know if they knew it at the time. I think they do. Um, and they've been arrested for uh, giving away state secrets. And uh, in the United States, we, uh, we have classified conferences where you go, and only the, pe only the people in there are those who have uh, those classified credentials. And, and I think these guys, th this is, I, I want to say it's a protest, they are they are saying this is ridiculous uh, what we're doing, um, and uh, they went ahead and published their very very good work in uh, in uh, non-Russian publications, and all the scientists use those publications for to get their research um, distributed so everybody can tell what they're doing. Um, but that's uh, their. Um, uh, uh, the they have a st an institute um, of th a theoretical applied mechanics it was published in uh, May sixteenth and it's a journal that's available for all scientists and uh, they they were not very happy so they arrested them some are some are on house arrest right now others are going to actually be in a prison so you take take these guys and uh, they do fantastic things for your country and now you're going to throw them in jail because and I don't know how their laws work you know we have similar laws if you reveal classified information you can be badly uh, punished um, but this is you know you can't just classify science because it's unique to you uh, science is going to be science and these are very good scientists and leading a, a really strong research program but now they're going to have to be doing it from prison looks like. It's a sad story. Uh, Anatoly Masov, Alexander Shibyuk, <laughs> they, they used a, a Russian uh, Cyrillic uh, alphabet the first time I ran across this. And then Valerie Zygaginetsev. I hope I said that right. And 
uh, Masloff and Chipaluk and Zignek and Steph are now suspicion of committing crimes under the criminal code and uh, code in Russia, and it's a real sad story. This has to happen. So um, I, I'm hoping they'll eventually come to their senses and realize you can't just throw these guys in jail because they make wonderful discoveries, and it turns out that you didn't want anybody else to know about them but you. And um, so uh, the sin that uh, uh, Zygevnesev uh, did was uh, uh, publishing scholarly work and gas dynamics in a foreign scientific journal. What a bad boy. Well, I just hope that that'll come uh, be resolved better and these guys can get back to work doing what they've done for the world of science and not just um, spending it on uh, Russian defense. So that's our uh, uh, story here and uh, uh, this week and there's some exciting things. We're going to be waiting, wait to see how the 21, May 21 launch of the Axion Aerospace um, Project to get these uh, four astronauts to the space station. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. well, it's uh, about time to head back down to the Earth and back to America. Um, we're staying in the galaxy, though. We're staying in the same uh, yeah. <laughs> the same part of the universe. Right. But uh, appreciate you, Brother Bjork. It's good yeah. to have you in person today. Yes, it's very really exciting. Uh, let's see here. We got Friday question number one, sponsored by the Sicilian Bank. What did James... And John asked Jesus they could do when they saw an unwelcoming Samaritan village. What did James and John ask Jesus they could do when they saw an unwelcoming village? Um, Samaritan village, excuse me. 270-257-2689. We'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. On Friday, May the 19th, 2023, here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio. And what a day the Lord has made. What a glorious day it is to be alive in the kingdom of God. We are excited for, again, all that God has done, is doing, and is about to do. Don't forget Coffee with Jesus, 4 o'clock this from Saturday here at, um, let's see, I say four o'clock, four o'clock. Uh, Miss Kay Cottrell is going to be able, she's going to be given a word. It's going to be on the alabaster box. And that is going to be at Free Liberty Church in Litchfield, Kentucky, right behind Taco Bell, formerly known as Victory Heights. That's four o'clock this Saturday. Um, graduations tonight at Bethel Christian Academy. It'll be in the sanctuary here at Bethel Fellowship. That starts at six o'clock p.m. And then new then at Cross Point next Thursday, Man Up starts at 6.30 with food, worship, and a great testimony as follows. Uh, invite your friends out. Invite your workers, um, your your guys from the work site. And, um, man, just really excited about that event next Thursday night. Again, that's 6.30 p.m. I'm a, I'm a also excited, Mr. Bjork, that the weather's improving. Um, it's starting to feel more like spring going into summer now, and so I'm appreciative of that because I didn't like this whole freeze on May kind of deal. Um, it's not it's not my stuff. It's not my cup of tea, as they would say. Uh, we also still have the trivia question, though. Um, you'll still be able to call in and get in there. What did James and John ask Jesus they could do when they saw an unwelcoming Samaritan village? 
What did G James and John ask Jesus they could do when they saw an unwelcoming Samaritan village? 270-257-2689. And we'll get rolling this morning. I was thinking about this morning, Acts chapter 2, whenever Peter, um, he, he preaches a message. And so we have in Acts chapter 2 where Peter, um, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. They have tongues of fire dancing on their head. There's great unity come because, again, the tongues that are in manifestation in Acts 2, it was a gift of the Spirit that he gave them um, to really bring unity to the body. And so because there were so many different languages, there were so many different people, so many different tribes. And so this this tongue that danced upon their head really is significant a thing about the tongues in that moment was that everybody could then begin to hear in their own language. They were able to understand. They were able to come into unity because from the very get-go, the Lord always loved unity in the body. Like he, it, the, the whole New Testament church was really started in Acts chapter 2 surrounding the issue of bringing everybody into unity, everybody into the same thought, and everybody into the same stream of thinking. And so that tongues right there, they brought everything into unity, into oneness, so that everybody could understand. And when they could understand, then Peter goes, and he's filled with the Holy Ghost. He's filled with power. They just had this experience, and he goes and preaches this the gospel. He preaches the message, and he preaches on Jesus, and he literally is preaching to Jews, and he's telling them the Jesus that you killed. Now, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He tells them about the resurrection, but he is, he's not holding or mincing words here. He's telling them the Jesus that you killed. And so now where i am really been thinking about this morning a lot is starting in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. And it says, and now they heard this. They were pricked in their heart. I'm, a re I'm reading from the ESV. No, I'm reading from the King James. I'm sorry. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said, unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this up untoward toward generation. And um, and so we have these men that's like, oh, we we did this. Their hearts are gripped. Their hearts are pricked. And now Peter starts to answer them. And he's basically telling them, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. And this baptism is for the remission of sins. And he says, you need to receive the Holy Ghost. You need to be empowered. You need to be equipped. You need to be washed. You need to be regenerated. And he's telling them for the promise is yours. Who's he talking to specifically yours? He's saying, like, personally, individually. He said, this promise is for you. It's for your kids. It's for your children. It's to those who are far off. So he's saying now, it's to those who are not with us. It's those around us. And then as many as the Lord calls. In reality, he's saying this. It's for you, the Jews. It's for your children. Your children are going to experience this promise. And he says, but also to those who are far off, he's starting to include now, I believe he's starting to say, he don't even know it, but he's saying it's going to be widespread. Um, and so 
I love this portion of text because this isn't really, I think, where I want to hang our hat and talk for a little while, but it's a good starting point because you have to establish that Peter's really establishing this gospel. He's establishing the promise. He's establishing um, to the Jewish people that this promise of Jesus is for you. He's really reaffirming that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is the one that's came to to defeat death, hell, and the grave, to conquer sin, to to change you. And he's he's telling them, now in this, some people get really, uh, they I think they misinterpret what he says when he says, save yourself from this untoward generation, which I'm glad we don't use untoward a lot because that's a hard <laughs> word to say. Um, could you imagine trying to preach that when you're talking fast? Untoward. All right. Um, he's basically saying, get yourself out of this generation. Move. Like, get out. Like, get out of this stream of thinking. And so, um, Hannah, what would you have thought if you got to hear the first ever message preached from the New Testament church? I bet Peter really preached it down. I bet he had, yeah. I bet he had a B3 organ. <laughs> I bet he had an organ behind him. I mean, he had a... He, walked with jesus so it's different yep and plus they just like they're just running off of the acts 2 experience and mm-hmm. um i would say if if we come into a room and there was fire dancing on our heads and <laughs> rumblings and people i mean it would be i bet there was some unction behind his preaching i'm sure the exuberance was at an all-time high <laughs> <laughs> I believe there was probably some excitement in the room and, but I would have loved the, I think what I would have loved as much as like, I'm an exuberant guy. So I definitely would have fit in well, I think. Um, They even had to explain that they were not drunk and they were not this, but um, I think what I would have, I think my, the thing that grips my heart the most is imagine the unity of thought and pursuit that would have been in the room. Like that to me, that would have been like, there was no, I don't think at that point there's probably any distractions. Um, mm-hmm. if, if we're on a Sunday morning and the room shakes and fire dances on people's heads and the glory of God fills the house, I'm almost persuaded that nobody's playing Candy Crush and nobody's taking <laughs> a Snapchat at that moment. I, I I don't know. Like I would I would have loved to experience the allness mm-hmm. of what happened in Acts chapter two in that upper room. Like just that surrealness, that unity, that pursuit, the desperation. The um, this is how my brain works. I mean, we we just read it and we think, oh yeah, Acts Pentecost, woo glory. But just to be there and experience what they mm-hmm. experienced would have been all striking, to mm-hmm. say the least. Mister Bjork, you ever thought about it before? You know what we really need? We need Wit's time machine from Adventures and Odyssey. Um, that's what we need. I don't know if y'all ever listened to Adventures and Odyssey, but Wit has a time machine that you can go back and you get to experience time. And so they went back and experienced the road to Emmaus, I think, before, and all these other ones. And um, we need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need that. I just want to. I'm okay with just looking through the window, just watching, because <laughs> uh, I was. I think. I don't know, like, I don't think it would be hard to compare a time when unity was probably at greater 
than the Acts 2 upper room. Because, mm-hmm. again, the tongues of fire was so that everybody could under Because there was like 120 men. And, and I think that there was several, several, several different languages mm-hmm. that you couldn't understand each other. And yet, supernaturally, all of a sudden, you started to understand what Peter was preaching. And you understand what people were saying. And... Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think it would have been amazing to witness. And then Peter Lee, like, you know, he goes and preaches and then all these people are hearing this message and their hearts are pricked and he tells them what to do. And then Acts 42, 42, this is one of the things that I believe this is organically what the church started out doing. And the reason I say organically is they didn't have time to structure out, structure anything. They didn't have mm-hmm. time to like get everything. And I, and I'm not opposed to structure. We need structure. We it need was organization. fresh. It was it was fresh. It was raw. It was organic. It was authentic. It was just like we're just gonna keep pursuing the Lord. And and to me, this little portion of text is. I've said this before, and I've preached this message before. But if we could get this as the church doing it, like. I'm not saying we cancel Sunday morning. I'm not saying anything like people always get to these extremes when they say, well, um, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do life together and doing life together. You don't have to go to church on Sunday morning. Like we're not talking about that. Like we're just going from one extreme to another at that point. Like we cannot forsake the assembly together because in it we are provoked into good work. So the Sunday morning gathering is very significant and important and should be um, it, it should be highly prayed over. It should be an expectation and an anticip- anticipation as the body of Christ to come together and worship every Sunday morning, Wednesday night, I mean, so Wednesday night, whatever whatever time period that is that you go and worship. Because, you know, some churches have multiple services and they meet on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, so maybe you're going on a Saturday night. Like, whatever it is, you need that one moment a week where you are truly assembling together and worshiping corporately, hearing the Word of God taught. That's vitally important. But also... I love Acts chapter two for these first these next couple of verses because I think it's organically what can be happening behind the scenes as the church. And it said, and then they gladly received his word and was baptized. So all these people get baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. So that day three thousand people got saved. I would say that's a very productive evangelist day. Um I would say that it was um, there was some excitement, you know, like imagine going out, knocking on doors and evangelizing one Saturday morning, 3000 people get saved. Imagine what it's going to be like at the restaurant when y'all meet back together to eat. I mean, we're, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of stories. You're going to have a lot of testimonies. There's going to be a lot of rejoicing. Heaven is really rejoicing. Like, you know, it, this would have been an incredible thing, but here's the thing that we nobody talks about. Like 3000 people just got added to the church. These people literally just really was introduced to what we know the New Testament church to even be. I mean, they they didn't even know what to do until hours before, because they were t- the only instructions the only instruction they were given was tarry ye until you are endued with power. So the only thing they was doing they were just meeting in the upper room and praying. I don't I I would say there was no structural things like again because I think it's all organic is. They weren't meeting up in the room 
and taking a napkin and trying to draw out, okay, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to have our senior pastor. We're going to have elders. We're going to have deacons. We're going to have this building. We're going to have this carpet. We're going to have toilet paper this way, not that way. We're going to have this kind of air freshener in the um, th- thing. This is how we're going to do our children's ministry. This is how we're going to draw, draw them in. This is how we're going to give this. And, and so they just went up to the upper room and they prayed. Then 3,000 people come into, a, to the, into their, um, join them in one day were baptized, were born again, received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a huge, huge logistical problem for the church. I mean, like, what do we do? Like, they've never been taught how to disciple. Like, they've been discipled, but they never like, well, this is, I read a book one time on how we can do this, so let's go. Like, they don't know what they're doing. And now they have the Holy Ghost, and he leads them in all things, but... I like I'm putting myself in that picture. If if we went from a church of a hundred to three thousand in one day, like what would you do? I mean, it would be rejoicing. Like we're yeah, like okay, but how are we going to sit these people? Are we going to do multiple services? Are we going to do like you know? And all this is what we think. Like this is how our brains are geared. And I think it's because we're always trying to. Um, figure out how to do the this the best the best, and I'm not against that. Like I think there is like we need good strategies, we need good implementation, we need all of these. God's given us the abilities to have all this, and we should own it. We should we should push forward. We should do it. But the church, I believe, more than more importantly, just logistical perfection or um, excellence or having the best children program with the most elaborate check-in thing or the best worship team. I mean, I think these next couple of verses are the bread and butter of what the church should be doing because it says, and they continue, continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship. So what, what's the very first thing we did? We learned they taught like they taught doctrine. They just, I mean, they continued. They had Bible studies. Though they dove, they dove deep into the Word. The apostles they were they were teaching, they were preaching. What were they teaching and preaching? What Jesus had taught them. And so they were, and and their teaching at this moment, at this moment, was not ecclesiology or the church or um, governmental structure. That does come because it's important. But at this moment, it's just they're teaching Jesus. They're teaching all about Jesus. They're teaching what He taught. I would say they're probably sitting down and reiterating the Sermon on the Mount. They're probably sitting down and talking about what he did at the crucifixion. He, he, they're, they're talking about how he conquered death, hell, and the grave. They're talking about how he's the propitiation. He's talking about how he satisfied the wrath, uh, our sins can be forgiven. All of these things, these are the things, the gospels, what they're teaching. They're, they're teaching the Messiah. He's He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. And they continue in that. Like There is a centering, I believe, around good solid teaching preaching on Jesus and doctrine so what we're supposed to believe and then they it says doctrine and fellowship because we equate fellowship to like um hanging out and having a bonfire which is great like i like bonfires i like s'mores uh the best s'more just to let everybody know is not hershey's candy bar the best s'more is actually Reese cup 
<laughs> you ever had a Reese cups more? Mm. See, <laughs> I got, I got, I got the Holy Ghost goosebumps right there. Just talking about um, a Reese s'more is very, I don't know. Mariah, have you ever had a Reese s'more? Oh yeah. <sighs> My goodness. <laughs> I don't know what I'm working with here. <laughs> We're gonna have to get some Reese s'mores. Yeah, um, they're they're terrific. Um, I'm just sitting there thinking about it. And I got the taste bud rolling. The palate's already shifting. I was thinking about a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. But a Reese s'more sounds pretty good, too. And, and really, you don't even have to do a bonfire. You ever, you know those, have you ever seen the mini pie cups? They're about this mm -hmm. big. All right, well, take mini pie cups. You can usually buy them in the packs of like 8 and 10. Put a Reese's in there. Put marshmallow on top. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Crumble up a graham cracker. That's what you could do first. I apologize. You crumble up a graham cracker at the bottom of the mini pie cup. Put a Reese cup in there. Then put a big, thick marshmallow. You pop, you put about eight or ten of them on a tray. Pop them in the oven for until you see the marshmallow melt. And when you get it out, then it is, now you have to eat it with a spoon usually. These are called s'more pies. And, oh my goodness. I, I bet I bet New Testament church had those. Um, <laughs> I would say they probably did make these. But we think of that as fellowship. But fellowship for them said was basically this. They continued to teach and preach. Well, what did they continue to preach and teach? Just what Peter preached to them just minutes ago. Because this is fresh. So he's continuing to preach just what he preached a minute ago. And they started doing life together. Because fellowship is not just hanging out with each other. Fellowship is doing life together. And now that does not mean that we're communal and everybody lives in the same building and everybody shares a house. And that's not what we're talking about. Like, you don't have to have a, like, what cults have done is they would basically take everybody within a body and build a big housing structure and then the leader is in charge of everybody. Like, that's not fellowship. That's dictation that is pushing too far. All right? What fellowship, though, is, is that we, we you know, I like guess old phrase, it takes a village to raise a kid kind of deal. Well, it's your kid. You raise them. But for a lot of, like, for Jacob's kids, I'm Uncle Aaron. For my kids, he's Uncle Jacob. But we're not really uncles but we're doing life together and we're, we're doing life together to such a point that our kids are just, that's natural. It's not even like, it's not about being blood. It's like, this is uncle Aaron. Like he's uncle Aaron. Cause wow, we're doing life together. And if, mm -hmm. and if he knows if he knows if he needs me, he can call me. And I know if I need him, I can call him. Do we talk every single day? Well, we do talk a lot, but not every single day, but we always know we're doing life together and whatever he needs, if I've got it, he can do it and he can have it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And and so it's like there's not a, oh, yeah, we're friends on the weekends kind of deal. Like we're doing life together and whatever we need, we we we're there, you know. And and I think that's really what the body of Christ is supposed to be, is that we are there for each other, that we're mm -hmm. doing life together. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice um, is it's. Without gossiping about and <laughs> trying sure. to tear each other down. Yeah. Because we see that a lot in the, in the church. Is like I think there's a lot of people who have wanted to get close to people just from, you know, people I've talked to. And so and there's been gossiping. There's been things like that. But once you truly are doing life with each other and supporting each other like this, 
scripture is talking about, that's when the church will start to thrive. Sure it will. And that's whenever we'll become, um, I don't know if it's bad grammar, mature, yeah. more mature. It would be more mature. Mm-hmm. I don't think you say mature-er. No. More mature. It would be more <laughs> mature. Okay. I'm trying to think of all the English I read. Um, and so it'd be, that would, that's when the church would become more mature because now iron is sharpening iron. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what they're learning to do here. It's like, well, there's such, there's something that the fellowship is fellowship around one thing. And that one thing is Jesus. And that one thing they share in common is a person and whenever we start to have one pursuit and a common pursuit of growing to be more like Christ, we can fellowship with each other in a greater extent because, you know, if if um, Eliza hung out with you yesterday and she loved it and, um, you know, she comes home and I think when she hangs out with you all, she she thinks she's a lot older than she really is. <laughs> she came home with a little bit of sass to her last night. Um <laughs> And um, I forgot what it was. And so, uh, oh, she's here. Hi, Eliza. <laughs> I didn't know she was in here. And so she came home, and um, she's always upset with me about something. I can never say it. I said, Eliza, I don't need two wives, okay? Uh, <laughs> and so, but, you, you know, here's the thing about fellowship, and here's the thing about fellowship in the body. She was with you, but I didn't have to worry about, and this is why it's important who's in your boat. This is why it's important um, who there's a Jesus ate with sinners. Okay. I I think we need to establish this before break. Jesus ate with sinners. He went and he was actually even called a partier. Like he, he, he was, you know, he, he, he talked about how he liked, he liked to go. Now their parties were a lot different than what we think of parties. All right. I'm just going to establish that. Like our parties are not parties. Like this is like gatherings. These are happening Mm -hmm. places. This is like gathering a restaurant and, eating and, and talking. All right. Jesus fellowship. Uh, he, he ate with sinners, but he didn't stay with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I hope that did. Um, who he availed himself to the most was his disciples because they were becoming more like-minded and, and uh, who's in your boat is a big deal because that's who you're fellowshipping with. And there was not a moment in my mind yesterday thinking, well, are my, is Eliza going to be learning something bad? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, is Eliza going to be exposed to something she shouldn't? Mm-hmm. And why? Because we're 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 in a place to where we are like minded. We both, you know, it's Jesus is the centerpiece. Jesus is the pursuit. Yeah. And this is what they're starting to learn is I need to stay with each other because iron sharpens iron. And together we're setting our face like flint and pers- pressing forward. Mm-hmm. But when you begin, and this is a word for, I believe, I I can preach this word because I live this word. If you isolate yourself from the body, you will suffer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've experienced that. You will. I mean, I've, I've lived that life. Yeah. Um, I isolated for a season and it didn't last long because I realized just how detrimental it was going to be quickly mm-hmm. because of hurt, because of frustration, of anger. And I learned quickly that a few bad apples don't get to rip away from what God's really done. Mm-hmm. And so I quickly ran back to the body. I can't live without the body. Like I, as a believer, I need the body of Christ surrounding me. Mm-hmm. And like there's all these old sayings, you are what you eat, you become who you hang around with. And you know what? That's very true. And I've, I've, I've actually seen 
where leaders and pastors, I actually remember one pastor basically, he basically shut down his church, stopped preaching, all to go basically live on the streets with, he said, I need to live with the people I'm trying to reach. Mm -hmm. And now he didn't become homeless, but that was his whole ministry. Like he didn't, I don't think he, Mm -hmm. I don't think he was exposed to the body of Christ. Like he pretty much isolated himself and just, he just went in there. And I think he really suffered. Like he's back to basically pulpit ministry. He's back to, he's back to doing what God's really called him to do. I think the enemy persuaded him to leave the body of Christ, to isolate himself. Mm. And he is just as productive in evangelism, reaching out to the lost as he's ever been. But you could tell he's, he's mentally better. And like, I think you think that's more of a struggle for evangelists, like evangelists who are being sent out. Yeah. Well, I think that for sure, I think that's something that I've I've spoken a lot on the issue of the relationship between the pastor and the evangelist because I think sometimes we misunderstand each other and confuse each other and but I think the true evangelists are usually the ones that will fly solo more. Um does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just like that's like the the thing they got to watch for. Whereas a pastor has got to watch more for the area of if somebody's not here all the time, they're rebellious. They're not this, they're, fl- mm. you know, and because God may be calling somebody. So like an evangelist is going to be out a lot. Mm-hmm. They may not be in that service every Sunday morning. And, and so you can't, but I think, they should still be connecting with like, sure. As they're going, as they're traveling, it would be wise to still be calling they're calling a pastor friend um, in communication, in going to prayer meetings with other people. I think they need a home church still. I think they need a body they're connected with that's praying for them, holding them accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, Home base. Home base. And see, because here's what happens. The pastor thinks the evangelist is just rebellious and (laughs) always just want to do their own thing. Then the evangelist says, well, the pastor's not doing anything. They're just always at church. They never go out. They never do anything. But there's different callings. Yeah. Um, because my role as a pastor, um, like everybody's doing the work of evangelists. I know we got to take a break, but everybody's doing the work of an evangelist. So we should all be preaching. But mm-hmm. my, my gifting is not evangelist. My mm-hmm. gifting that I feel like God's called me to do is more pastoral. So what I do is different than an evangelist. I'm not going to be going out all the time. I'm not hitting the streets every Saturday, probably. Am I hitting the visitation centers? Am I, I mean, am I, am I talking to my people? Am I shepherding? Am I leading? That's what a pastor is geared for. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm at a restaurant, I may be evangelistic to my, my waitress. I mean, you know, like, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like I can find opportunities to evangelize, but evangelist will go hit the streets. That's, that's their passion. That's pursuit. Mission. And so that's what they're called to do. That's what they're gifted to. Whereas a pastor's not. And honestly, we spoke a lot on this is the, the, the goal of a pastor on a Sunday morning is not evangelism. The goal of a pastor on a Sunday morning is to equip his sheep mm-hmm. for the work of a ministry. And so my goal on Sunday is to equip those who are called in evangelism with something to go tell them, to mm-hmm. teach, to instruct, to provide. to, and, and if we could ever figure out that we don't have to look like each other, mm-hmm. and that I'm not supposed to do what he does, and he's not supposed to do what I do, and Mr. Bjork's not supposed to do what we do, and we're not supposed to do what Mr. Bjork does. I think if we under, ever understand we don't have to look like each other, we just got to have the same pursuit, then we could actually live in fellowship without all this hostility and division. And he's doing nothing. Well, I'm doing everything. Because, you know, that's that's it. Like, 
one person may say, well, they're doing nothing. But then that person who's always here saying, I feel like I'm doing everything. Mm -hmm. You're not doing nothing. You're always out. Mm -hmm. And it's all because we confuse roles and we confuse what we're called and the purposes. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's where good, solid teaching on the fivefold giftings of the church is, is essential. Because honestly, and we're going to go break after this, is we've kind of said evangelism is just going out and preaching at different churches. That's not evangelism. That's not what an evangelist does. Like we made that to be what an evangelist does. But evangelism is preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. So evangelism is reaching the lost. Mm -hmm. What what you would be doing going to different churches and preaching and leading, really the, the New Testament church didn't even have a lot of context for that because that's not what that's not really what they did. That's the hard part. Like, and if you did do that, you were more, and see, I think this is where you possibly be teaching. You, you were teaching. You could do teaching. That's what I, that's, if I had to say that's more what you're doing, that I think you would, you would teach and you would preach. Sure. And it would be, but it was like, like even apostolic is not necessarily that apostolic was fathering. It was going into, it was going into regions and establishing churches. It was mm -hmm. fathering that way, raising up leaders. So what we do when Joe Smo travels to 300 churches in a year and preaches at 300 different churches, we call that itinerant speaking. But really, they didn't have that in the New Testament church that I found. Not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that it would be more, if you were going to classify to something, it would be, have to be teaching probably. Mm -hmm. and Because it's not pastoring. It's not evangelism. Mm -hmm. it, teaching or maybe prophetic but really, that's not even what the prophetic does either. So teaching, I would say, probably is the closest mm -hmm. thing. Um, but, yeah, we got to go. I know. <laughs> All right, question number two. I love talking about this stuff. I love I love studying the church and, and talking about it. Question number two, what did, what was Jacob doing? Oh, Miss Jerry got the first one. I'll answer that when we get back because I'm over time. What was Jacob doing when he came out of his mother's womb? What was Jacob doing when he came out of his mother's womb? We'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. The events page, so. I like that. I need all the help I can get, Mr. Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you download the Tidely Church app, then you'll search Box 2 Radio and then you just press that button, change, and you're good to go. You don't have to ever do that again like that. So um, it's a great app. It's a new app, and we've really been enjoying it. The other one will be cut off sometimes in June. And so just giving you a fair warning, the old app will be cut off then. So um, we're trying to give everybody about a month and a half or so to get the new one downloaded. And um, everybody that we can get the word out because some people's going to have an old one and be like, hey, it don't work no more. Um, but we have seen great traction on it um, to the point to where we actually even have to increase our listening capacity on the stream because we keep kicking each other off because there's maxed out so i think that's a great problem to have we'll just we'll we'll max it out and then we'll go to another one and max those out too amen, amen. Uh, by the grace of god so again we're in acts chapter 2 verse 41 and they steadfastly continued in teaching and fellowship so they're doing life together and the baking of bread uh uh, breaking, not baking, breaking bread. I love, that's probably my favorite part. So they taught, <laughs> they did life together, and they ate together. Now, people think, Aaron, you talk about food too much. Um, what is the new app called? It's still called the Box 2 app. Um, it's just you got to go to Tithely, T-I-T-H-E, period, L-Y, Tithely Church app. And then when you download the Tithely Church app, then you will search. 
it'll say new church search. Just type in Box 2 Network. Once you push that and you find the Box 2 Network, it'll say change, want to change. Once you change it, it'll be the Box 2 icon. It's called the Box 2 app still. And um, anybody that has trouble with this, please don't hesitate um, to like call the station. Reach out to us. Call us at 270-257-2689 or call um, Aaron or myself if you, are, if you have our numbers. And uh, also, if you go to our Facebook, the Box 2 Facebook, there's a link on there. Um, <clears throat> and if you click that link, it'll take you to the right app. So yeah. then once you download that app, um, all you will have to do is just type in Box 2 Network. Yes. Um, and so it's a great app. Again, Prayer Walls. It's got <laughs> the podcast on there. You can listen live. Uh, you can. There's a call us button, so you can just press that and calls us. Um, trying to think of some other. We're going to add some more things to it. The Remnant Report will eventually be on the app. So mm-hmm. those you can get it via mail still or you can get it via the app. And I'm um, just really excited about the opportunities and the resources that it provides to serve the body of Christ in a better way. So in Acts, though, whenever they're the new church, I love it because everybody thinks I just love food. And you know what? I really do. Um, <laughs> the, the dad joke of the day from Joey is who was the smartest bacon lover that ever lived? Albert Einstein. Wine. Um, it's <laughs> Albert Ein, Einstein. And um, and so he, he's the be- he was the biggest bacon lover ever. I thought he was going to say Aaron. No, well, that's close. I, I'm a, I have to be in competition with him. Um, but... <laughs> Food has the ability, like there's something about, there's something significant around fellowshipping around food. Like it breaks down the walls, it breaks down the barriers. Um, Honestly, it's like um, a lot of the meetings or a lot of times when I just, I talk to people or meeting, like I like to do it over food. So if if I'm going to hang out with, say I'm going to do like a pastoral visit with Ethan, I'm just going to use Ethan. Um, I'll be like, hey, you want to go grab lunch? Why? Because people so much more vulnerable and people so much more open around mm-hmm. food because it, it tears down the guard. And plus food's necessity. And it's like you're, it's on a whole nother level of doing life together when you eat together and you fellowship together and you share and you break bread. And so it's really throughout the whole, the whole scripture you talk, you see where people ate and fellowshiped ate and did this and they continue to do that and you you went to each other's houses you you broke bread you were starting to have things in common you were making sure each other was eating you was making sure you was enjoying each other's presence um you know it's like i, I bet they went and threw some baked potatoes <laughs> and they had a game board out so they played monopoly it was the it was the jerusalem monopoly board it was awesome i heard um <laughs> uh, you know, you could you could you could purchase the Garden of Eden, or you could purchase the Gethsemane Garden. You could do um, Nazareth, like it was an awesome Monopoly board. And um, you know, I bet they just did stuff like that though, because it's it it builds something between people. Like you, you knit each other's heart, you bond each other together. And I don't know, I I just I think it's so significant. They taught, they fellowshiped, they ate. And then this is one of the important things, probably the most important thing, and and they pray together. Mm-hmm. So what was the what did the, you you say? Well, what what was the New Testament church doing? Well, they were teaching, they were fellowshipping, they were eating, and they were praying. And so, <clears throat> good stuff, amen. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just lost my phone. Uh, <laughs> and and so, you know, that's what they were doing. They were they were doing those four things. And what would the church look like if we did those four things together? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that we would start to. I don't. I think there would be another level of community, of body, of pursuit, of unity. I mean, all of these things would. I think, start to shift and be different. First of all, we're teaching, we're fellowshipping, we're eating, and we're praying. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that, you know, obviously you are a pastor and you operate in that, but I do believe that there are more people in the in the local bodies that still have a pastoral gifting. And if you do, and, like, you're good at reaching out to people and discipling and, like, um, spending that one-on-one time, then please do that because there's a lot of people in church that, you know, hopefully this doesn't ever happen at Bethel, but um, I've definitely been the person that kind of just slips under the radar, like mm-hmm. goes into church, nobody really says anything to me, and I just kind of slip out. And I normally don't, I normally didn't stay at that church very long. Sure. And you know, I'm not blaming that on one specific person, but it's the whole body. If if just one person can reach out and you know. Because there's a lot of people that are more shy or maybe they're a brand new believer. They don't know how this thing works. Like, mm-hmm. And so the Lord wants us to reach out and find, I mean, we don't have to do it for everybody, but at least find one person yeah. to just kind of be like, hey, do you want to go get coffee and um, just get to know each other? But also it opens up the door to be able to pray for each other and do life together like this verse is talking about. Yeah. And it, so, sometimes it's as simple as like, I'm just thinking like we have three or four older ladies in the church. Um, well, they're older. They're they have their annual 29th birthday, um, <laughs> but they are incredible cooks. Like they they like, and I'm not talking. I'm not talking like yeah, they're they're good cooks. Like they are good cooks. Like Miss Joanne, it's hard to find a better baker than Miss <laughs> Joanne. Like she is tremendous at it. And Miss Doris and Miss Nellie and them, whatever they touch in cooking. You know, Mr. Bjork's shaking their head like, oh, yeah, <laughs> glory. Um, I felt a little Ricky Skaggs come on there. Glory. All right. Whatever they touch and whatever they do, it's tremendous. Like, it just tastes good. And so even, like, it's as simple sometimes if you have a gift like that. Um, so say you know how to make these, like, Miss Joanne makes her emphasis, infamous or incredible uh, I mean, they're infamous because I eat way too many of them. That's why. Um, but they're sugar cookies, and they are phenomenal. And so she could take something like that and say, well, um, Dinah at the school, she loves to bake. She's good at it. Like, I taste her stuff, too. She, I, I'm, all, I'm all out, okay? <laughs> yes, all in. Like, she made some cupcake, cupcakes the other day at school. I ate one. And then I was repeat. I was I was really upset because I didn't have time to go up and get another one before I Aww. left, and they were gone when I got back. And so, like, they were in- incredible. But the opportunity for like a Miss Joanne, who's done it for years and years, to be able to take like a Dinah and say, "Hey, let me show you how to do this," or "Do you want to come over and bake one night?" Like, I get it. Like, sometimes it takes extra pressure. Or it takes things that are out of normal schedule, and maybe we have to disrupt our normal life for it. But to be able to use something like that to even disciple, because in the midst of the bacon, in the midst of teaching, like, how's life? How's this? How's mm-hmm. this? You know, how's how's home life? How's, you know, how's your spiritual life? Like, what what happens when we take time to disciple and fellowship and teach and do all this? 
is we learn to trust. We learn to be open to each other. We learn that you don't have ill intent for me. You probably have good intent. And we'll we'll open up and we'll talk. Mm-hmm. And in reality, what we're doing here is discipleship. Mm-hmm. People say, that's not discipleship. Discipleship happens only when you have a book that five people meet in a room together in a room every one week. <laughs> and we you talk about that book. Well, no, that's more studying. That's more, more teaching. teaching. That's more talking. Discipleship is doing life together. And it's mm-hmm. making sure that, like, um, like when Hannah let... Eliza hang out with her yesterday. What she's really doing is discipling. Like she's pouring into her. Now I don't know what Eliza's pouring into everybody else because I hear she's <laughs> praying for babies. Um, she she's praying. No, for No, she was pouring some good stuff in. I honestly, I would like to talk to you sometime just about. I don't know. I won't say everything that we talked about, but um, <clears throat> I was very proud of her. Of just she was around adults all day, but like yet she was still staying in conversations and always like pointing things back to the Lord. Like anytime that, you know, we would talk about anything throughout the day, she was like, well, God hears, God knows this. And like, she was always pointing it back to like, God is sovereign. He's in control. He's number one, um, in our life. And I was just so proud of that. And so you also learn from who you're discipling sometimes. Like you also learn things about them that are like, wow, like, because a lot of times we don't take the time to listen to people. Well, just be careful what she prays over you because <laughs> she has a very effective prayer life. <laughs> uh, well, I, I learned that yesterday because there were some things that she was praying for that I, I don't even know how she would have known to pray for yeah. it. So, Well, you know, these sometimes are the conversations that I can't say I'm like, you know, the best veggie tail kind of guy. You know, I'm, we don't do like that. But like what we're doing in the car is they'll ask me questions like... Um, the other day we got in a theological exposition of um, the fact that God never had a beginning or an end, and ours couldn't wrap our brain around it. So we literally worked through this idea, this the idea, the principle that God's never was created; He's always been. She goes, uh-huh. "No, it can't happen." I'm like, and so because she's struggling with it, it's yeah. a deep thought. And so you know, sometimes we are literally having theological discussions in the midst of a car ride to Walmart or something like this. <laughs> we actually had that same conversation. Remember yep. Eliza? What? We had that same conversation. She was asking about that. Yeah. Like, well, God, who, who made God? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we say this, but I really do feel like these are the kind of conversations they were having in the early church mm-hmm. because there was such a pursuit. There was such a wanting to know and really, they're starting to learn everything we thought we knew. We really don't know. Mm-hmm. And so they were continuing to learn from the disciples and the apostles. Why? Because they had learned from Christ. And yeah. there was probably these questions like, so explain to me that he was the word. He was with the word. And the word was with God. Like, okay, in the beginning was the word and the word was God with God and the word was God. Peter, you lost me. James, John, you are. I Okay. Do it again slower. I'm trying mm-hmm. to track. Like, and I really do feel like there's conversations. A lot of them was around these. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy when we sit down with dinner or something like that, or somebody's over at the house and they go, okay, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, first we've got to establish that Jesus said no one's good except God. All mm-hmm. right. So, as good as we think each other may be, we're not completely good. Mm-hmm. And 
And so it's like you break that down. Now, I'm not saying because you're bad, you have bad things happening to you. That's what I'm saying. But I think you even right there start to establish it. So if somebody is a, a not, not a believer and I'm at a restaurant with them and they say, why does bad things happen to good people? People ask that because they think they're going to catch catch us Christians and say, oh, man, you're right. God's just evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trapping us. You know, I was like, oh, no, no. First, you're opening a door for me to preach the gospel because I need to tell you no one's good. I yeah. need to tell you that you're not good. I need to tell you that Joe Smo down there, that good old country boy that's never done anything wrong, they've done wrong. And so, um, and, and so, um, they have done wrong. And, and so they need to preach the gospel. You're taking that opportunity to preach the gospel. You're taking that opportunity to say, no one is good. Now we're getting into Romans chapter three, where we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And so that's an opportunity and I can take it. And now we're starting to teach. Now we're starting to instruct. And I believe this is what the new Testament church was doing. And I believe they were taking every opportunity to continue in that doctrine, continue in the teaching, continue in what Christ taught them. And we can do it. And we're still called to do it today. And so I, and we don't always take those opportunities. We just kind of go, well, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll ask <laughs> pastor Bob later. Like, you know, <laughs> um, and, and so, but if we're willing to discuss and we're willing to do things that like that, and it, it's, I think this is where the church really starts to grow. Mm-hmm. And also I think this evangelism starts there too sometimes. I think you have to ask questions. I think the Lord wants us to ask questions because mm-hmm. if we're asking questions, then we're wanting an answer. And if we're wanting an answer, we're wanting him to speak to us. Mm-hmm. And not only asking him questions, but asking each other questions because sure. then it, provokes us to study mm-hmm. <laughs> and like what's, actually think what's the O saying i'm horrible saying so i always have to ask uh the only dumb question is the one not asked yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and and it's true like there's a lot of truth in that is and if if you're scared to like i think sometimes maybe it's like this we'll take a break i well, i'll let you i know you're gonna say something i don't want to inter- well i'll well, say it after we come back um uh, Sometimes I think if we, we think if we ask questions, it's a lack of faith. I'm going to tell you all, I, I ask God questions all the time. Mm-hmm. What, why are you doing this? Like, or why is this going on? For one, I need insight. I want to know, like, like whenever Heather and I walk through what we just walked through, I'm only, I'm only bringing this up because it's, it's relevant to where we're at coming out of. There was never a distrust. Like I didn't, it's not like, oh, what are you doing? Like, I thought you were going to do this. It was mm-hmm. like, Lord, I trust you, but could you give us some insight in what you're doing? Yeah. I don't think that's an unbelief. And then sometimes you're just, sometimes some things hit you really out of left field, out of nowhere, and you just kind of look up to the heavens and goes, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? And that's not unbelief. That's just like questions. And then it's not a bad thing to say, well, is the earth really, is it short or is it earth long? You know? And that's not saying, I don't believe the Bible. Like, that's saying, I want to know truth. And I want to know truth. And sometimes the only way we really get truth is to ask the right question. Yeah. So we got a second if you want to say it. Even to each other. No, I was just thinking about, you know, the verse that's uh, in Jeremiah. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Mm -hmm. Knock and the door will be opened. I mean, I, I think, yes, like, we present our prayers to the Lord. We ask him for things, but also... Um, we see many people throughout the word and hopefully we still have people doing this today asking for wisdom 
asking mm. for spiritual things that are going to edify each other and edif- and bring glory to the kingdom. Because when we start to ask the Lord for for like help or spiritual um, like insight and wisdom and knowledge and these things, um, when we're doing it because our desires are aligned with his desires, then he will give that to us. And mm-hmm. he wants us to ask or he wouldn't have told us that. Sure, sure. So. All right, we're going to take a break. Do we say who our trivia winners are? Uh, I don't or, or trivia remember. Answers? I don't remember who the first one was, but I said the second one. Miss yep. Jerry Condor got the first one. And what was the answer to the first question? Uh, the first question for today was, um, what did James and John ask Jesus they could do when they saw an unwelcoming Samaritan village? And the answer was to call fire down from heaven to destroy them. Well, <laughs> all right. And then <sighs> Miss Elizabeth Higdon got the second one. And that was, what was Jacob doing when he came out of his mother's womb and it was grasping his brother's heel in Genesis 25? Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. All righty. Well, we're going to take, what's that? Oh, Mariah gave me the paper. We didn't get a second answer yesterday. Oh, we didn't. Well, then I guess we'll just redo the question. We could throw another one in today because we didn't answer the second question yesterday. When Jesus had in mind to feed the 5,000, who did he ask where they shall Buy the bread for the people to eat. When Jesus had in mind to feed the 5,000, who did he ask where they should buy the bread for the people to eat? 270-257-2689. We'll be right back here after the break on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network. says asking questions builds faith it pushes doubt out yes amen another one said i wanted my two sons to come to me with questions wanting my advice and just to bear their thoughts if i've been imperfect cherish those times being intimate i believe my father desires the same from his sons and daughters and so i love that too and just um i think dad loves it when we ask him questions Mm -hmm. and i think he loves to answer and um and so another listener said, can you show me how to do the S key card out? That's Mariah. Um, <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> oh, we, that's good. Uh, nothing as bad as though when Jacob talked about one time his clothes falling on somebody in the During rapture. During the rapture. And oh, man. It's like Jacob. And then someone, and, I don't know who, said, oh, yeah, that would be like a tent falling down. <laughs> Poor Jacob. <laughs> Poor man. Uh, Mar- um, Eliza, you wanted to say hello? Hello. Do you like Box 2 Radio? Yep. Um, Eliza loves Eliza loves being in here. I don't know why. She just likes to, to sit in here. And she's, She said she wants to be on here one day. She's done she with school. Host. You're going to host with us? Yeah. Um, well, the, the dangerous thing is Eliza wants to pray for everybody to have babies. And the problem is, once you pray for you to have a baby, you just might as well get a crib because it it don't come too far after. Um, well, she was praying for a lot of things, and she, her prayers are pretty perfect, I gotta say. But one thing I love that she said yesterday, it was my favorite thing. Um, she was talking about what she might be when she grows up, or we were talking about what she might be when she grows up, and she said, I'm gonna be whatever God tells me to be. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. Amen. Uh, Joey says you can go over and help him put a toilet in, Eliza. No. <laughs> She's like, uh, I don't think God's telling me to be that. <laughs> oh, goodness. I love that. I love it. Amen. Well, we have been in Acts chapter 2 this morning talking about the early church and what's going on with them and how they they teach, they fellowship, they eat, and they pray. 
But then 43 is significant too because then it said, and fear. Well, what fear? Is that fear like terrifying? No, it's reverence. It's honor. Honor fell. Honor um, honor fell on every soul. Fear, reverence fell on every soul. And many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. I think what he's talking about there is that everybody walked in an honor and a reverence. Mm-hmm. There was a... Um, it was a serious deal for them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, and it, I hope it, I hope it does. Like, it's just, they didn't take it lightly and they did. They also didn't want what happened to Ananias and fire to happen to them either. So, you know, it's kind of like we are, we're walking on, you know, I don't want to say thin ice because I don't think we walk on thin ice, mm-hmm. but we walk in reverence and we walk in honor obedience, and we walk in obedience. Yeah. I don't want to do anything to upset my dad. I don't want to like, I would say even this, like, 3,000 people's coming. God's moving. They're like, I don't want anything to mess this up. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't want to do anything to mess this up. And and it's like, I don't want I don't want me to be in, implemented. I want him. Yeah. And because I think their hearts were right, because they were growing, because faith was there, because iron was sharpened in iron, because they walked in the reverence and the fear of the Lord, many signs and wonders were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as many as every man had need. So we've done that verse recently. Um, but something happens in them to where they're like, we just continue with this one pursuit, and that's Jesus. If i got to sell everything to make sure the poor is taken care of, I'll sell it all. Like, I just want to pursue Jesus. Yeah. And then verse 46, and they continuing the daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I think we could probably preach a whole message on verse 46 when he says this, breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And if it's one thing I think we can get back to in the church, it's the singleness of heart or you could say simplicity, Mm. the simpleness of heart. Like we don't have to make this so complicated. It's simple. And that singleness of heart is Jesus. Mm. We're just one pursuit, one mind. Everything in my life I want to be revolved around. I want to be a better husband because Jesus wants to be a better husband. I want to be a better father because Jesus I want to spend my money like Jesus tells me to spend my money. I want to eat like Jesus would have me spend uh, um, eat. I would. I want to fellowship like Jesus would have us fellowship. Like everything becomes about Jesus and magnifying Him in the earth. And people say, "Well, that sounds fanatical." Well, call me fanatical because I'm not trying to be a fan. I want to be a follower. Mm-hmm. Like if your Christianity can be turned off, you're not walking in true Christianity. Mm-mm. Is that I I. I I don't mean to be mean, and I'm not trying to put condemnation. What I'm saying is if we can turn on and off our relationship with Christ and we being Christians, then we're probably missing the mark somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know how much of the real deal we really have if it's something we can flip on and off like a switch. And so I think that we've taught that in the church, though, is that, oh, yeah, you got your church game on. You got your normal game on. You got your, you got your um, Tuesday face on, and that has to go. And it's just like that singleness of heart. 
And I think this is where it's important to have all things in common is that the common the, the the common factor between all of us is Jesus. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit. Do you think the singleness of heart could is also saying like unity? Yeah, I, like one heart knit together in unity, like what Ephesians talks about. Yeah, I I think it I think it denotes unity, but I think it denotes unity on a grand scale too. Um like that they're just um I want to say makes they're not trying to get everything, do everything, have the best. They were just gratitude Mm -hmm. it was gracious and and they were being generous to each other it was like i guess the singleness of heart for me the simplicity is that material things don't have heart hold over them anymore Mm -hmm. so whether i'm eating a sirloin or i'm eating a mcdouble it doesn't matter yeah i'm just happy it's the material or it's the heart that connects them and brings them together, not yes. any other factor, not any other yep. material thing. And if I could have a sirloin myself, or we both could have a burger, the singles heart. Well, I don't need a sirloin. Let's both eat a burger because <laughs> we're both hungry. Is that? I mean, yeah. like, I think it's just where where they got to a point to where material things and even the necessities of life didn't have a hold over them because mm-hmm. they were walking in faith. They were walking in walking in the spirit, walking in the spirit. They were walking with all things in common. There was, there was a never a fear of the new Testament church. Somebody in that church going hungry, mm. having an issue. They can't, they're going to take on alone. Yeah. Isolation wasn't a pro. It wasn't, it wasn't an, like, and I believe when the first, the church first started, it wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. Because they were just doing life together. It was a fresh church created. And I don't know. I just see that like the more that time goes on when something is created, the enemy starts perverting it mm-hmm. and creating like, well, I don't know if he creates, but people start like getting perverted with it. And like all of these copycats and like um, the flaws come in over time. Mm-hmm. But we see here, like, this was, like, this is our model of, like, how it was supposed to be. This is what be. we should pursue. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I think our culture tells us to look out for ourselves. Yep. And I've talked to several people lately and have conversations with other leaders from other churches and other things. <laughs> and one common factor that I see in a lot of things is people's turn, turning inwards. And as things get crazier and times get tougher and... Um, all these things are playing out. What happens is I turn inward to protect myself and what, like, me, myself, and I. But that's not how the kingdom operates. No. And that's not how Acts 2 is telling us to operate. It's not saying 3,000 people came unto Christ and they went home and did their thing. Mm-hmm. It's that they all came together and they taught, they fellowshiped, they ate, they prayed, great wonders was among them. They continued to break bread. They continued to seek the Lord. They continued to eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. God was doing incredible things. And if you ask me, this is probably one of the greatest revivals ever to start taking place and moves of the Spirit that's really true. And I mean, because there's the signs that are wonders. There's the salvations. There's the growth. There's the community. All these things are taking place. This is what the church is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And yet it's we have made the church just an organization where we meet to 
on one day a week. And that is our religious fulfillment. But there was never a systematic thought to these people. It was a lifestyle. Well, everything in this church started with the secret place. Mm -hmm. Like, even though they, like, even though they were with each other, like, it was a supernatural, like, it was communion with, with Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Like, the Holy Spirit was there. Like, they were in direct communion with the Lord. And so, like, I think that's the problem today is there's no, there's no realization of the need for the Holy Spirit. Like, there's no, um, there's not much teaching on the secret place on, like, it's just, I think everybody has kind of just become desensitized to it. Sure. Like, to just going through the motions and not having personal time with with the lord anymore mm-hmm. and that like church is just going to be a fix mm-hmm. and unfortunately i think it probably has become like a temporary fix for a lot of people yeah and but then that people wonder why like the ones who are hungry wonder why church is not going like they're not feeling the spirit the spirit isn't moving revival is not happening at church but mm-hmm. it doesn't just coincidentally happen or accidentally happen um never happens no like it's it's sacrifice it's consecration it's prayer it's humbling yourself it's everybody coming in with their own oil their own fire and so yeah well i mean it's got to get this down moves of god are never free and they're never cheap no for example um billy graham who led a whole lot of people to Christ. He, one day, and we tell his story quite a bit, he was on tour of John Wesley's old house, old place where he used to live. And and um, the tour guide at the college noticed that there was one missing, and it was Billy Graham. But he went to look for him, and by John Wesley's bed, I, hope, I think it was John Wesley's, um, where he would kneel and pray for revival to come, the floor was actually indented. Wow. So he would pray so much by his bed that the places his knee was at was actually had an indention. And if I'm making sure I got this story right, I'm not the best of stories. If I miss this, I don't mean to, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this one. Billy Graham was caught with his knees and those indentions praying, oh God, do it again through America, through Mm. me. Do it again. Do it again. Use me to do it again in America. Well, John Wesley didn't see that great move of his spirit because he just showed up one day and it happened. He prayed so much that his knees literally made an indention. indention. I'm sure that Billy Graham prayed. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that every great man of God or woman of God, Catherine Coleman, all these people that that made influences and impacts, I'm sure they prayed. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they pursued. You don't get the results of prayer and holiness without doing prayer and holiness. You just can't do it. And you also don't have growth in the body without fellowship, without communion, without eating, without teaching, without praying. You just can't do it. And the New Testament church is an example of that. Yeah, I think this gives us a good example. Like, they had a mountaintop moment with the Lord. Like, they had, like, whoa moment with the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, I'm not, okay, I'm not comparing Asbury Revival to the day of Pentecost. But I'm just saying, like, this has been a thing modern day that's happened and so this is like wow like so many people um and the lord showing up the spirit moving but then something that 
you know, with with there being so many new converts, mm-hmm. with there being so many new um, saved people th- going throughout the world, um, I think this gives us a good example of how to steward that. Mm-hmm. Because we can't ever just seek the um, spirit moving, but then not have the heart to steward it. Mm. Yeah. Afterwards. Yes. As the body of Christ. And, um, Excuse me. And I think this passage is very needed right now for what we're experiencing. Yeah, I I think it's a prudent passage for where we're at as the body. Um, and I think that the enemy wants to do the reverse of what this is. The enemy's trying to persuade people. And maybe some of you, maybe, maybe you're listening this morning. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been misused by the church. Maybe somebody done you wrong. I'm telling you, I have I'm I've been in the church for a little while now. I've been a, in some capacity of leadership or preaching for a while at this point. Even at a young age, I've done it for a long time. I have had some very hurtful things said to me in the body, and some of it was intentional and some of it was unintentional. the The enemy will use that and drive you into isolation, because if he can isolate you, I'm telling you. It's like, I think we said this yesterday with Greg. If you're not reading the word and you're not with the body and you're not praying, you will not thrive and you will die. Like you, you just, there's no other part. Your body, like you need it. Like you're going to die daily to the, to the things of the spirit. Like your body's going to, your mind. I don't, I don't know if I want to say that. Like you're, you're, you're going to go backwards at the very least. Like why? Yeah. You're not going to grow. You're not going to thrive. You're not going to mature. You're either going to stay the same or you're just going to fall away. Yeah. And I don't want either of those. We don't want our spirit to die. When no. we're called to die daily, we're called to die daily to our flesh. Yeah. Ourselves, our natural desires, our sin, all that. But we do not want our spirit to deteriorate. Yeah. And it's like, I think Greg said a minute yesterday, something to the effect of, you know, when he got born again, somebody come up and said something to the effect of him, like, you know, enjoy it while it lasts, the joy, the fire, and all this. Well, I think for sometimes the reason that that fire and that joy and that <laughs> that passion seems like it kind of goes away is we don't feed it. Mm-hmm. If you don't stoke the fire, it was the fire on the altar was lit, but it was the priest's duty to keep it burning. Mm-hmm. It was the priest's duty to keep it burning. And how do we keep it burning? Well, we read our word. We're praying. We're with the body. We're being sharpened. We're um, seeking the Lord. What's seeking the Lord look like? Well, it can look like everything we just taught, like everything we just said. Like sometimes eating dinner with each other is an aspect of seeking the Lord because now we're building our hearts together. And in that dinner, you know, how are you doing? Like, what do you think of this verse? What do you think of that verse? You know, how's life? How's your kids? Oh, my goodness. They're like that. Well, let's pray. Like, you know, all of this, sometimes we think just seeking the Lord is just shutting ourselves in the closet and never leaving. Well, there is an aspect of the closet, and I think Acts says it. The, um, Luke says in Acts, weep between the porch and the altar. Well, the altar represents that secret place. The the porch represents our ministry. Hmm. So it's weeping between the porch and the altar. Like we're going to, something's going to happen, but it takes the porch and the altar. Like we don't get to choose either one. We have a altar. We have that secret place. We have that place. We have the moments where we're married. But everybody has to be a Martha too. Like, mm-hmm. and seeking the Lord is doing both. Because Jesus never rebuked Martha for what she was doing. She rebuked Martha for trying to undermine and under under appreciate and 
contradict what Mary's doing. Mm -hmm. And and so because everybody needs a little Martha and everybody needs a little Mary. You need the porch and the altar. You need both of them. And so sometimes that seeking the Lord is not just in a closet. Sometimes that seeking the Lord is doing life together and letting us grow together where iron sharpens iron together. We're seeking the Lord and we're building and we're growing and maturing and edifying. Yeah. And And if you really want something, you'll look for it. Yeah. If you really want something, you'll find it. You will go searching for it. And the Bible says if you seek, you will find. Mm -hmm. If you're hungry, you'll be filled. If you're thirsty... You'll be, yeah. You'll be filled. And and I I know we only got two minutes, and I don't know if I can spit this out. This, but I think it's important to get younger generations, like even the Generation Zs, um, the younger generation, like even Eliza's age and 10, 12, 13 years. It's important to get them into roles of fellowship and atmospheres of fellowship, because right now they are they're used to the TikTok mentality, everything quick, everything fast. I don't have to be personal. I don't have to talk to you long, 30 seconds, give it to me what you want, and let's move on with life. And then even worse than that, you know, we raised kids during the COVID thing where they couldn't even see each other's faces. And whenever they went years sometimes, like some of these states were two or three years out of school. They didn't know how to socialize. They didn't know how to to fellowship. They don't know how to build relationships. They don't know. And to be honest with you, I think it's the greatest attack of the enemy to rip away the ability to have substantial relationships with each other. But, so turn your TVs off, turn your phones off, and go but talk not to box somebody. Two. <laughs> but, not, but not box two. All Later, right. <laughs> after box two, after you get this equipping right now, go turn off all the things that are distracting you. And that might not be at yeah. your phone. It might be something else. But turn whatever it is off that's distracting you and go talk to somebody. Yes. And uh, we go gotta, pray with somebody. We got to go. But go eat lunch with somebody. Yes. Build mean, meaningful relationships. Substantial relationships, relationships that has substance. Be vulnerable. Be open. Do not be isolated. You're not the only one on the earth, like <laughs> Elijah thought. We're in this together, but you'll never have a body around you if you isolate yourself and don't let yourself be open. Acts two literally is a picture of a church who is doing life together. We love you so much. Have a blessed Sunday. Praying for the fire of God to fall on your service and your pastors, your leaders, your Sunday school teachers. Everybody go do the work of evangelists. Let's see the glory of God come. Do life together. If anybody ever wants to eat with me, just let me know. I love bacon sandwiches. (laughs) Love you guys. We'll be back Monday, 7 a.m. Central Time here on Mornings of Box 2 Radio on the Box 2 Radio Network.